0: Your lordship, said Harry. I respect Mr Simnel, because I've seen that he's one of those men who tuck their shirt into their trousers, and that says dependable to me. Now, there's a line of people out there who really want to whiz about behind the lad's uh, locomotive. I reckon they'll pay top dollar for taking a ride on the very first one of its kind, and the people of Ank are so thirsty for novelty that the old city is, you might say, "'urrying the future along for the sheer joy of watching its progress. "'So I'm thinking that every man and boy, and possibly even their ladies, "'would like to have a ride on this wonderful machine.' "'And should we count the risk, "'when simply to live in Ankh-Morpork is to shake hands with risk "'every day of the week?' murmured his lordship. "'Mr. Simnel, you have my good will, such as it is,' and I can see a twinkle in the eye of Sir Harry, a man who, if I may say so, looks like someone who intends to be an investor. Although, of course, that is entirely up to him and you. I am no tyrant. There was a moment of hushed silence around the table, and Lord Vetinari continued, That is to say, I am not a tyrant stupid enough to take a stand against the zeitgeist. But as you know... I am the man who can steer it with care and consideration. That is why I intend to speak to the editor of the Times this very evening, to leave him, as he would say, in the loop. He always likes to be consulted. It makes him feel important. His lordship smiled and said, Amazing! How do we think up these things? I wonder indeed what will come next." The atrocity of the attack on the Clax Tower at Stowe-Kerrig, which had so recently been a lifeline to the world for the people in the town, shocked everyone. As Adora Bell Deerhart looked at the wreckage in the gathering dusk, she was not surprised to see a very large and handsome wolf approaching at speed and, unlike most wolves, carrying a package between its jaws. The wolf disappeared behind a haystack, and shortly afterwards out of the haystack came a handsome female, only marginally dishevelled, wearing the uniform of the ankh City watch. Captain Angua, the most notable werewolf in the watch, said, Oh my, they've certainly made a mess, haven't they? And are you sure that only one of your people was hurt? Two goblins, Captain, but they bounce well. Quick-witted, too. Can you imagine? They managed to send out a final message saying that their tower was under fire from dwarfs before they legged it. "'Very conscientious, the goblins, when it comes to machinery. "'They're always better on the night shift. "'Can I say, Captain, when you find out who did this, "'I'll press charges, and press them very hard indeed, "'to a point when a police officer like yourself "'would have to look away for fear of seeing something they didn't want to. "'I wouldn't worry about that, Miss Dearheart. "'His lordship takes the view that to interfere with the clacks "'is to interfere with the proper running of the world.' "'Treason not only to one's own state, but to all. "'At the moment, my friend Shatter of the Icicle, "'the lead goblin on this tower, has a bit of a battered arm, "'but he'll certainly assist in finding the dwarfs who did this. "'However, I don't know where Shine on the Moon has got to. "'I'll prowl the area until my backup gets here. "'I'm expecting the cart and Igorina for the forensics,' said Angua. "'If you hear something screaming, it might be me, but don't worry. "'Commander Vimes has no time for senseless saboteurs.' "'There was a pause, and Adora Bell said gravely, "'There's something I think you ought to see. "'Look under this pile of timber. "'This dwarf looks very, very dead and horribly mutilated. "'I assume he probably tripped and fell when he was setting fire to the tower. "'What do you think, Captain?' Carefully, Captain Angua looked at the corpse and said, "'He's lost an ear,' Adorabelle said. "'Well, apropos of nothing at all, "'I understand that when goblins get truly riled up, "'they go all frisky and look for souvenirs. "'But I'm quite certain, of course, "'that none of your clacks goblins "'would be getting up to anything like that. "'Right?' Angua asked. Distantly, Adorabelle replied, "'Yes, having been almost burned alive by dwarf extremists, would be shrugged off as another day in the office and not something to get very excited about.' She looked at the captain quizzically, who said, "'Quite so. Undoubtedly, any injuries were caused by the incompetence of the terrorists themselves.' "'Why, yes, indeed, yes,' said Adorabelle. "'Wasn't it amazing how one of them managed to chew his own ear off?' Angua observed. "'So can Shine on the Moon come out of hiding now?' "'I'm sorry,' said Angua carefully. "'I didn't hear what you said over the cracking of the tower.' The silence in Lord Vetinari's study was absolute. Nevertheless, the tread of Drumnot's approach contrived to make it even more silent, as the secretary handed his lordship a little slip of paper and told him that a second clack's tower had been torched by people calling themselves, in translation, the only true dwarfs. Drumnot waited while not a muscle moved in Lord vetinari's face, before he said, "'Let it be known.' that enemy action on the clax system will be followed by the death of not only those who did it, but also those who ordered it to be done, whoever they are. Send this to every embassy, consulate, and head of state. Action this night, please. Still speaking calmly, Lord Vetinari continued, It is also time, I think, to let the dark clerks deal with the more unusual suspects.' I'm sure your Concludium has given you some clues, Drumnot, and of course we will assist in any way possible. The low king must be unhappy about this. Although the stricken Clax Tower was ours, we know that the impact of this problem falls in the last event on the king himself. Therefore, send him a message on the black Clax, and let him know that I myself, and undoubtedly Lady Margolotta, will support any new plan he chooses to make. The Graggs have once again broken a solemn accord, and that, Drumnot, batters the pillars of the world, and not inconsiderably. After all, if you can't trust governments, whom can you trust? There was a subtle cough from Drumnot, and his smile at that point was more like a grimace. Before the secretary was released to his private office, and its other intrigues, Lord Vetinari continued, fishing in his own stream of consciousness, and said, "'I seldom get angry, drum-knot, as you know, but I am angry now. I should be grateful if you would send for Commander Vimes in his other incarnation as blackboard monitor, Vimes.' I require his assistance, and I don't think he'll be a happy man, which, from my point of view, has no downside in these circumstances. Please put the message out to Mr. Trooper that this is not the time to be a nice person. He went on, this isn't war, this is a crime, there will be a punishment. Rhys Reason, low king of the dwarfs, was a dwarf of keen intelligence, but he sometimes wondered why someone with that intelligence would go into dwarfish politics, let alone be king of the dwarfs. Lord Vetinari had it so easy he must hardly know he was born. The king thought humans were, well, reasonably sensible, whereas there was an old dwarf proverb which translated said, any three dwarfs having a sensible conversation will always end up having four points of view. It wasn't quite as bad as all that, but it was near enough these days, he told himself, as he looked over at the assembled members of his council, in which, according to the rules, he was the first among equals. He had read somewhere in the scrolls that they owed him fealty, whatever that was. It sounded like a kind of porridge. When his secretary, Aaron, had returned from a recent visit to Ankh-Morpork, he had described a foot-the-ball game he witnessed, which had at its centre a referee. Right now, Reese was feeling something of what the referee had to go through since all the balls were kicked right at him. How could you be the low king in a realm where even the factions had factions and those factions had microscopic factions? He envied, oh, how he envied Diamond King of Trolls, who apparently gave instruction and advice to his myriad subjects after which they said thank you, something that the Low King didn't hear very often. Diamond King spoke for all trolls everywhere. The dwarfish race, however, had fractured now almost to the point of disarray, and all of this ended up as a problem the Low King had to deal with. There was today, obviously, an agenda, or rather a regrettably large number of agendas, one for every faction. Glumly, Reese wondered what the word was for a large number of agendas, and decided that the term should be a living death of agenderitis. It was the deep-down grags that gave him nightmares because, well, there was something offensive about those thick leather clothes and conical hats. After all, he thought, we're all dwarfs together, are we not? Tack never mentioned that dwarfs should cover their faces in the society of their friends. It struck Reese that this practice was deliberately provocative and, of course, disdainful. Now, on the everlasting agenda, dwarfs from every mine were grumbling about the exodus of the young to the big cities. And, of course, they all had reasons for why this might be the case, all of them wrong. Anyone who wasn't a dwarf who preferred to live in darkness, in every meaning of the word, knew that the reason the younger generation was now overwhelming Ankh-Morpork for example, was simply down to those very same grumblers and their activities. On the other hand, those he thought of as progressive dwarfs, the type who would quite happily have a troll as a friend, were bearing down on him, the king, about their race's tendency to drive itself into a kind of purder. There was a great cloud of misunderstanding in the low king's hall, which on every side appeared almost willful, as if any dispute, however insignificant, had to be thrashed through to the bitter end. It was something in the dwarf's psyche. We spend too much time indoors, Rhys thought. He sighed when he realised that Ardent, whose voice had become unbearably loud, now had the floor. Ardent was a dwarf that the king would have liked to see present at a mine disaster, preferably underneath it. However, Ardent had followers, stupid followers, and he also had powerful friends. And that was it politics. Politics was like those little wooden sliding picture games for children. You had to move all of the pieces in the hope of finding a place where the whole picture slotted together. At the moment, Ardent was insinuating that, in truth, the mining of fat in the Schmalzberg fat mines was not truly dwarfish, a comment which led an elderly dwarf, whom the king recognised as Sulian Hethwin, to get to his feet. Hethwin put his hands on his axe and said, "'My father was a fat miner. My grandfather was a fat miner. And so was my grandmother. She was a very fat miner. And I was a miner when I was a miner. My mother gave me a tiny pick as soon as I was old enough to hold it. Every one of my relatives, back to the dive of the fifth elephant, was a fat miner. And I'll tell you, the export income from the plains for our purest fats is what keeps this town running.' "'so I won't take an insult like this "'from a Yara lawn ornament, "'too afraid to look at the sunshine.' "'The sound of metal on metal echoed around the hall, "'followed by silence, "'with everyone waiting to see "'what was going to happen next. "'And that meant Rhys Reason "'had to break that silence. "'After all, he was, was he not, "'the low king, the low king of all the dwarfs.' "'He smiled.' well aware that one wrong word from him would send shockwaves around the cavern and the result, whatever it was, would be his fault. Such is the fate of those who work only for the propagation of peace over warfare, and the way of the conscientious facilitator is a path strewn with thorns. He looked at the angry counsellors brandishing weapons around the huge table It was as if being a dwarf meant that you lived in a permanent state that the term grumpiness simply couldn't convey. A conference of dwarfs was, in their language, a confusion of dwarfs. His voice low, Rhys spoke. For what purpose am I king? I will tell you. In a world where we formally recognize trolls, humans, and these days all manner of species, even goblins, unreconstructed elements of dwarfdom persist in their campaign to keep the gregs auditing all that is dwarfish. He looked sternly at Ardent as he continued. Dwarfs from every area where dwarfs live in sufficient numbers have tried to modernize, but to no avail apart from those in Ankh-Morpork. And the shame of it is that often those determined to keep dwarf kind in the darkness— have somehow inculcated their flocks into believing that change of any sort is a blasphemy. No specific blasphemy, just a blasphemy all by itself, spinning through the cosmos as sour as an ocean of vinegar. This cannot be. His voice rose, and his fist crashed down on the table. I am here to tell you, my friends, and indeed my smiling enemies, that if we do not band together against the forces that wish to keep us in darkness, dwarf kind will be diminished. We need to work together, talk to one another, deal properly with one another, and not spend all our time in one enormous grump that the world isn't entirely ours anymore, and at the finish ruin it for everyone. After all... Who would deal with such as us in a world of new choices? In truth, we should act as sapient creatures should. If we don't move with the future, the future will twist and roll right over us. Reese paused to accommodate the inevitable outburst of shame and not so, and all the other detritus of rotted debate, and then spoke again. Yes, I recognise you, Albrecht Albrechtsen. The floor is yours.' The elderly dwarf, who had once been favourites to win the last election for Low King, said courteously, "'Your Majesty, you know I have no particular liking for the way the world is going, nor some of your more modern ideas, but I have been shocked to discover that some of the more headstrong grags are still orchestrating attacks on the clax system.' The king said, "'Are they mad?' We made it clear to this council, and all dwarves, after the message we received from Ankh-Morpork about their clacks being attacked, that this stupidity must cease at once. It's even worse than the Knights, and not to be confused with the fabled Nugar knights, famed in dwarfish mythology, as the ancestors who, at the beginning of the world, created the treacle mines and other subterranean sweets. It's even worse than the Knights, who were, to be sensible about this, totally and absolutely bloody insane.' Albrecht coughed and said, "'Your Majesty, in this instance I find myself standing shoulder to shoulder with you. I am appalled to see things go this far. What are we but creatures of communication, and communication accurately communicated, is a benison to be cherished by all species everywhere. I never thought I would say this, but the news I am hearing lately, and am expected to delight in, makes me ashamed to call myself a dwarf.' We have our differences, and it's right and proper that we should have them, and discourse and compromise are cornerstones in the proper world of politics. But here and now, your majesty, you have my full and unequivocal support. And as for those who stand in our way, I call down a moraine on them. I say a moraine. There are uproars, and there are uproars, and this uproar stayed up for a very long time. Eventually... Albrecht Albrechtsen brought his axe down onto the table, splitting the wood from top to bottom, bringing terrified silence across the gathered dwarfs, and said, "'I support my king. That's what a king is for. A marine, I said. A marine, And a gingangagap for those that say different!' Rees Reason bowed in the direction of the old dwarf. "'I thank you, my old friend, for your support.' You have my undying gratitude, and you leave me in your debt. Then, to some onlookers, the low king might have looked a little taller. Over the hubbub, and there is no hubbub as bubbling as a dwarf hubbub, the king felt strangely buoyant, lifted, like the strange gases found around the crater of the fifth elephant. It seemed to the king that some of his counsellors were suddenly thinking, actually thinking, and they had listened, actually listened and now they were trying to think creatively. Rees continued, "'Not for nothing is Ankh-Morpork the residence of even more dwarfs than live here in Überwald, and we now know that quite a large number of our dwarfs are emigrating to the lands of Diamond King of Trolls. So it is that our traditional enemy is now a friend to the many fleeing from the agents of the Grags. As he expected,' The hubbub bubbled even more. Willful bubbled hatred, bubbled misunderstanding, bubbled spitefulness. He said, I tell you now that history will run straight over us squabbling dwarfs, and I will not stand by and allow that history to end with our race brought down to the status of angry Buzudgahyara. I am the king, by right, duly elected with all the proper observances. "'I was anointed on the scone of stone in accordance with traditions going back to the time of Brian Bloodox, and I will serve the sacred duty by all means necessary. I declare these grags and their puppets are Daradak, and I will not suffer their pernicious doctrines any more. I am the king, and I will be the king.' The uproar returned, as it always did, but Rhys thought he could see some comfort in the faces around the table, and then his gaze ran into Ardent, and Triumph wobbled a little, and he thought softly, "'Sooner or later, my friend Mr. Ardent, I will have to deal with you.'" Lord Vettinari's expression did not alter as he read the headline in the Ankh-Morpork Times. "'Locomotive Project Dangerous for Health.' "'followed in a much smaller font by, so it is claimed. "'And it wouldn't alter until he had had a word with the editor. "'Of course, the patrician knew that any change was an affront to somebody, "'and quite clearly the proposed locomotive undertaking "'couldn't hope to be anything other than a target. "'Apparently,' Vetinari remarked to Drumnod, "'the pounding rhythm of the railway wagons will lead to immorality.' "'This from a Mr. Reginald Stibbings of Dolly Sisters,' "'he signalled to one of the dark clerks. Geoffrey. what do we know about this Mr. Stibbings? "'Does he have a particular expertise in immorality?' "'The one at Loose Chippings, my lord. "'I am informed that he has a very young mistress, sir, "'a young lady formerly employed at the Pink Pushy Cat, "'and very highly thought of there, I believe.' "'Does he? An expert indeed, then?' Vetinari sighed, and continued. "'Though, of course, I do not imagine it is in my remit to monitor the private doings of my people.' "'My lord,' interjected Drumnot "'as a tyrant that is, in fact, exactly what you do.' Vetinari gave him a look that did not actually employ a raised eyebrow, but which implied that one might be forthcoming— if the recipient of the look pushed his luck. He shook the paper in front of him and continued. A Mrs. Baskerville from Peach Pie Street says that young ladies travelling on the train might find any kind of gentleman sitting next to them. He thought for a moment and said, In this city, expecting to encounter any kind of gentleman seems somewhat optimistic, but perhaps she has a point. "'It might be prudent to have compartments for ladies only. "'I rather think that F.E. King would approve that. "'Excellent idea, as always, sir. "'And what do we have here? "'A Captain Slope is very concerned about noxious gases "'around the lines of the railway.' "'Lord Veterinary snapped his paper shut and exclaimed, "'The people of Ankh-Morpork are already at home to noxious gases.' It's their birthright. Not only are they at home with them, they quietly persist in making more. It seems that Captain Slope is one of those people who won't like the railway at any price. Suggesting that sheep will miscarry, and horses will run until they die of exhaustion, indeed, it seems that Captain Slope thinks the railway will be the end of the world. Well, not, you know my motto, Vox Populi Vox Deorum. Curious, the patrician thought, as Drumnot hurried away to dispatch a clax to the editor of the Times, that people in Ankh-Morpork professed not to like change, while at the same time fixating on every new entertainment and diversion that came their way. There was nothing the mob liked better than novelty. Lord Vetinari sighed again. Did they actually think... These days everybody used the clacks, even little old ladies who used it to send him clacks messages complaining about all these new-fangled ideas, totally missing the irony. And in this doleful mood he ventured to wonder if they ever thought back to when things were just old-fangled, or not fangled at all, as against the modern day when fangled had reached its apogee. Fangling was indeed, he thought, here to stay. Then he wondered, had anyone ever thought of themselves as a fangler? However, on the other hand, his lordship quite saw the point of the coach drivers and the others who even now, according to the Times, could see their business falling away if the railway were to be introduced. And he pondered, in such circumstances, what is the careful prince to do? He thought, how many lives had been saved by the clacks, and not just lives, marriages and reputations and possibly thrones? The clax towers now spanned the continent, this side of the hub, and Adorabel Deerhart had provided evidence that the claxmen had several times spotted nascent fires, and on one occasion, outside Querm, a shipwreck a little way out to sea, when they had claxed the information to the nearest harbour-master, saving all hands. There was nothing for it but to follow the wave. New things, new ideas arrived and strutted their stuff, and were vilified by some, and then, lo, that which had been a monster was suddenly totally important to the world. All the time the fanglers and artificers were coming up with even more useful things that hadn't been foreseen and suddenly became essential, and the pillars of the world remained unshaken. As a responsible tyrant, Lord Vetinari regularly audited his actions fearsomely and without favour. Trolls in Ankh-Morpork were rarely talked about these days, because, amazingly, people barely thought of them as trolls any more, just as, well, large people. Much the same, although different. And then there was the position of the dwarfs, the Ankh-Morpork dwarfs. Dwarfish? Yes, but now on their own terms— The low king was certainly aware that in Ankh-Morpork there was a large population of dwarfs that had taken a look at the future and decided to grab a slice of it. Tradition, they had thought. Well, if it suits us, then every so often we'll have a parade of all things dwarfish, sons and daughters of our parents, but, as it were, augmented. We have seen the city. The city where almost anything is plausible, if not possible, including for the ladies, a better class of lingerie. Far away in a small mine at Copperhead, Milog Chedison, the cobbler, put down his hammer and tacks. "'Look here, my boy,' he said to his son, who was leaning on his workbench. "'I've heard what you have said about the Grags being the salvation of dwarfs, and this morning I found this. It's an iconograph of me and Coombe Valley, the last time. Oh, yes, I was there. Nearly everybody was there.' We'd been told by the Grags that the trolls were our enemies, and I thought of them as nothing more than nasty big lumps of rock out to crush us. Well, we were all lined up facing the buggers, and then someone shouted, Trolls, put down your weapons! Dwarfs, put down your weapons! Humans, put down your weapons! And there we stood, and we could all hear other voices in different languages, and right in front of me there was this bloody big troll, oh my!' He had his great big hammer ready to pulverise me. That was not to say that my axe wasn't about to take his bloody knees off at the same time, but the voices were so loud that everybody stopped and looked around, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, What's happening here, mister? And I said, I'm damned if I know. But I could see the other side of the valley, and there was a great big kaffaffaff full between the top brass, all screaming about dropping our weapons, and I looked at the troll, and he looked at me. And he said, are we going to have a war or what? And I said, oh, and I'm pleased to meet you. My name is Milog Cherryson." And he sort of grinned and said, they call me smack, and I'm pleased to meet you. And all around us, people were wandering around and asking one another what the hell was going on, and were we fighting or were we not fighting? And if we were fighting, what were we fighting for? So some of the lads sat down and lit a fire for a brew up. "'while at the other end of the valley the flags were fluttering "'and everybody was walking around like it was a holiday or something.'